0: it's Susie G, and welcome to episode eight. Today marks the first of our episodes dealing with the death of marriages, and my guest today is my sister, Sam. She'll tell us a little bit about her marriage and the issues that led to its demise. Because my sister is legitimately one of my best friends, and because we shared a good bit of the same upbringing, I dragged us into some territory that I really wanted to cover. So today you're going to hear about pornography addiction, unhealthy familial patterns, and how we finally learned as grown-ass adults to set boundaries in all of our relationships. We also talk about where we are now. My sister is strong. She is a badass single mom, and she is one of my very favorite people on the face of the earth. So please enjoy this episode, where Sam and I break down some more stuff about religion and porn, we deconstruct some of our family dysfunction, and we jokingly pat ourselves on the back for finally figuring some shit out. Enjoy. So Sam, talk me through your marriage. How did you guys meet? How old were you? What were the circumstances of like your courtship and whatnot? Let's start there.
1: Uh, So we met through his cousin. His cousin and I were best friends in high school and he lived in Colorado and I lived in Utah. So we met that way.
0: What did your dating look like? How long did you guys date for?
1: Not very long at all, actually. So he got home from an uh, LDS mission, and we had written
0: each other on his mission,
1: and...
0: So you guys met before he left on his mission? Yes. And we're like, friends?
1: Um, we had met once. We weren't necessarily friends. Okay. We knew of each other, so... Okay. Um... And then when he got home, we had been writing on his mission. So I went to Colorado for his homecoming. And then we did kind of the long distance thing for a few months. And then that was in September. And he proposed Thanksgiving weekend, the weekend before Thanksgiving. And then, so that was two months of like long distance dating. And then we got married in April. So we were engaged for like five, is that
0: five months? Six months? How much of that engagement was actually you guys like living in the same place? Most of it. I moved to Colorado in December. So everyone's going to think that's really short.
1: It is. Um, It
0: needs to be pointed out that this is extremely typical (laughs) for like LDS for Mormon courtships. This is like super... Super typical. So how old were you guys? I was 19 and he was 21. Also typical. Uh Uh-huh. Unfortunately. What did your, what did dating look like? And what did, like, your engagement look like? Does it feel, like, looking back, does it feel really, does it feel normal? Does it feel like you guys rushed? Does it feel, like, how, in retrospect, what does that look like?
1: In retrospect, it doesn't necessarily feel rushed, but definitely wrong pretty much as soon as i moved to colorado i wasn't happy but it wasn't necessarily because of him i just had a hard time um finding a job out there i lived with a single mom and her daughter uh in the same ward that he lived in so we were in the same neighborhood and kind of close together um and so I was living with strangers and having a hard time finding a job, paying rent, that kind of thing. So on my end of it, it was kind of difficult from the get
0: go. That's like a lot of new. So you're 19, you like, you're dating, like that whole thing's kind of new. You're, you know, maybe your relationship doesn't feel new, but like, you know, you haven't really been dating in the same place for a long time and you're engaged and you move to a new state. And like, it's that's a whole lot of new yeah. like all at once what so his family lives in Colorado too how'd you get along with his family how's that I already knew his family I had actually met his family
1: before I met him because I was best friends with his cousin so I knew his whole family and I actually got along with his family really well I still do
0: did they make that easy like easier did that kind of buffer the move
1: not at the time no I think that they knew that it wasn't a good idea and they had voiced that. And so I feel like they didn't necessarily like me right from the beginning. I feel like they did before I was engaged to their son, but I think that they knew their son and they knew that he was not ready to get married, but we were doing it anyway. Mm -hmm. So not that they weren't necessarily happy with me. They weren't happy with the situation. Gotcha. So that was a rough start, but. That ended up fine. I got along fine with his family for
0: the most part. So what did, do you feel like in retrospect, do you feel like you knew him well enough before you got married to be like, yeah, or, or like now looking back, do you think, oh, if I would have really known him, like before we got married, like I probably would have married him or like, what, what does that look like now looking back? Do you think a longer like dating thing would have made any difference at all or?
1: I think the thing that would have made the biggest difference would have been people speaking up about things that they knew were going on and didn't tell me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, his family knew about things that he had done in the past. I don't know if they knew that he was still doing things so he struggled with a pornography addiction before we met and I didn't know about that, and then I guess it continued after we were married, and that's how I found out I was already married to him.
0: That feels like something that, like, he could have hidden for a long time, so I feel like that's a thing that's, like, even if you would have dated a year and a half, that's something he probably could have kept hidden anyway. Like, if he didn't want you to know, you weren't going to know. Yeah, and I
1: know that it's not his family's place necessarily to tell me, but they did know about it, and so I feel like a heads-up or a warning or something
0: would have helped me
1: make a more informed decision
0: so what did like the early so you guys get married you get married in the LDS temple people listening to the podcast there we've talked before about LDS weddings and the whole idea of like temple marriage and the eternal companion and that whole thing so you guys did that yes um what did the beginning look like for you what did the first like year of marriage look like
1: it was kind of awful if i'm being honest i was not happy
0: mine was too from the
1: start and i didn't know anything about the addiction or anything like that the first year it was still hidden um i don't really know exactly what the unhappiness was from honestly i still don't know that i could pinpoint that um we kind of struggled to pay bills because we were super young. Neither of us had gone to school and really had a career yet. So we were working like kind of dead end jobs just to make ends meet. And So that was really stressful, the financial situation. And then I got pregnant pretty much right away, which added to kind of
0: that financial burden. So, Did you want to have kids like right away? Was that a thing that you guys were like trying? Cause that's pretty, that's typical too. Like the marrying young, like short engagement, kids pretty much right off the bat. Like that's it, you know, that's the pretty typical, like how things work out. So were you, were you thinking that's what was going to happen? Like, were you guys trying for that?
1: Not necessarily. I think we just were going along with, like you said, it's typical. And the culture here is for things to go exactly that way. Mm -hmm. And so I think both of us were just like, well, this is what you do. And we didn't actually stop to think about we were just so young. We were so stupid.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, you were stupid. I'm sorry. I feel <laughs> like we're so, so stupid. I'm like, real. yeah. <laughs> Same. It's OK. <laughs> so we're so you get pregnant. Are you guys happy? Like what was, cause I know for me, when we got, you know, when we got pregnant, we, which we weren't married yet, but in my mind I was like, Oh, maybe this will fix stuff. Like maybe this will, maybe this will help us get along. Cause it's, you know, you have that common goal now, like we're going to be grownups now. We're going to like, yeah. was there kind of, did that kind of bond you or what did that do to you guys?
1: No. And I'm going to take 100% of the blame for this one. I am a complete and total bitch when I am pregnant. <laughs> And I'm going to blame the hormones. I'm guessing that's what it is because I'm not like that normally. But when I'm pregnant, I am exhausted. And anybody who knows me knows that when I'm tired, I'm not a happy person. So pretty much the whole first trimester of that pregnancy, because I didn't know that that's how I was going to be. So that was kind of a surprise to both of us that um, I quit my job because I was so tired that I could not function. And I just wanted to sleep all day, every day. And luckily, that didn't last past the first trimester. And then with our second kid, I realized that, like, I kind of was expecting that. And so Mm -hmm. I think it was a lot easier on both of us with our second kid. But the first time around, it was very rough. And he was sitting there thinking, what is wrong with you? And I was thinking, what is wrong with me? Mm -hmm. So it added a very huge strain. On our already strained marriage.
0: Did you guys have points where it was like good? Like did you have like a cycle to it, w- or was it always just kind of strained and hard?
1: So we got married in 2000 and we had we were married for eight years. And the only part that I can remember when it was really good is when I was pregnant with our second kid and that was in 2004 and we had a really really good year um we had moved into a new apartment and we made the decision so at this point I knew about the pornography uh, addiction and he made the decision on his own to not have internet in the house which in 2004 it was basically still like AOL Mm dial-up. You know, people didn't rely on the internet like they do.
0: Boobs loaded so slow back then.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But he was present in our marriage, finally. Mm -hmm. He was present for a whole year. And then we bought our house and we moved. And that's when the internet came to be a thing that, like, people relied on more heavily. And so I was the one who said that I wanted internet in our house. Um, It was no longer dial-up. It was like slower than we have now, but basically what we have now. Mm -hmm. And so I decided that I wanted that and
0: that's where things eventually completely fell apart. So, yeah. What, What did that look like for you guys? Like, how did you find out the first time? I know the first time I found out It was like devastating, like devastating. But then kind of like once I recovered and the next breath was like, oh, so much makes sense now. So much of why we're not connecting makes sense now. So what what did that look like for you guys? Like, how did you how did you find out the first time? And then like, was it just a constant like repeating thing? Like what how did that show up? How did that manifest in your in your marriage?
1: So, this was the first time that I had actually dealt with addiction in my life. Um, And I honestly was still super naive. Um, So, we were babysitting for my aunt, and I guess he had searched something. So, this was probably, we had a six-month-old. So, this was probably 2001, like mid-2001. he had searched something on her computer and so just in going back through um those search histories uh they were able to figure out who it was Mm -hmm. and so my stepdad our stepdad (laughs) um told him and I had no knowledge that any of this had happened it was all happening behind my back Um, but he basically said either you tell her or I will and so we were driving in the car one night I remember and I still remember the exact words we had our six-month-old in the baby seat behind us and he said I am completely addicted to pornography and I didn't I was just naive. I didn't mm-hmm. understand the actual weight of that. And I knew that it was bad. And I knew that that meant, you know, like, I think a lot of people don't understand the distinction between looking at pornography and being addicted to pornography.
0: Yes. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't think, I don't think John was addicted to porn. I don't, I don't think, I don't think all LDS guys are like addicted to porn. There's people who just like looking at porn and you can look at porn and you can stop if you want to, but you don't want to like, it's, so yeah, there is a distinction for sure. Yeah.
1: And so I didn't understand when he was telling me that it was something that he could not control on his Mm -hmm. own. I didn't quite understand that at the time. Over the years, I definitely learned that, but I don't, because I've never struggled with addiction, it was really hard for me to understand where he was coming from. So in my mind, I think it was after our divorce that I realized that he couldn't just stop. Um, It was once I was out of that situation and looking back on it, I think I learned more about addiction through the divorce than I did through the marriage. Right. And I came to understand it more. So... Um, yeah.
0: How did he, did he try? I mean, what did that, what did the rest of the years of your marriage look like? So you have that like initial like gut punch and then you kind of, did you guys like make a game plan? Like what, what did it look like kind of going forward? So
1: anybody who has dealt with addiction or had someone close to them with an addiction, Pornography is the same as anything else. Pornography is a gateway. And so as pornography was losing his interest, um, I found more and more things that he was doing. Um, And it turned into things that were happening with actual people.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And... I do somewhat feel like his story is not necessarily my story to tell as far as
0: right. Right. Yeah. I will
1: just say that actual people were involved and, um, finding those things out, I think were more devastating than finding out that he had a pornography addiction. Right. So, because then it was like, Actual people, and at this point, you know, I had had a kid, I had gained some weight.
0: Um, oh, you start really internalizing great. all that, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, postpartum depression, I had it very severely, um, but I didn't realize that because back then people didn't really give that a name, yep. and people didn't talk about that, and so I was really struggling and suffering through all of that alone. So. I didn't talk to anybody about his addiction and I didn't. I just kept it in for a long time and I didn't talk to people about the postpartum depression. uh, Once real people started getting involved, I had kind of hit my limit. And that's when we went to couples counseling. And. We went to a few sessions. He didn't take it seriously. And I understand now that's because he didn't really want help. Um, Or I don't know. He didn't seem to want help. And so the counselor would give him assignments to do and he wouldn't take them seriously. He would write down the most ridiculous things and bring it back the following week. And so we got to... A point where the counselor just looked at him and said, do you actually want help here? Um, Because this doesn't seem like you're taking it seriously. And that, of course, completely offended him. And the counselor just said, I I can't help you beyond this point. Mm -hmm. You don't seem to want to be here. So we left there and I was feeling like, what do I do at this point? But. Again, being naive to what addiction really is. I stuck it out for longer. Um, Things just continued to get worse.
0: Like, was there a final straw? Because So I know how this ends up. But for you, um, would you kind of have continued on that indefinitely? Like, do you think you could have or would you eventually have? Where was your mind on that? Like, knowing that he wasn't going to, he wasn't super taking it seriously. He wasn't, you know, where was your mindset on that?
1: I stuck it out for about six more years. That was pretty early on in our marriage. Um, so I now know that this has a name, but I kind of became not addicted to, but. Um so there's something called trauma bonding. Mm -hmm. And so I got stuck in that cycle is maybe a better way to put that. Um where when I would find something and I would confront him about it, for a little while his behavior would change Mm -hmm. and he would become present in our marriage because he didn't want me to leave and he was finally present and there with me and treating me like what other people probably take for granted in a marriage. Like I, those were times when it was kind of normal. Um, but then he would slip back into doing things again. And that cycle, like I, I started to learn it really well. And so I would spend my days searching for things searching for things that he had done wrong that I could then confront him about so that he would apologize profusely and do nice things for me and um yeah so that cycle I now know is called trauma bonding Mm -hmm. but I didn't know that at the time I didn't I guess I should have seen that that cycle is really unhealthy but I didn't see it until after our divorce
0: types of codependency like that when you're in it are you can't see it when you're in it when you're out of it you're like oh that's it's yeah so much more obvious but when you're in it it's so hard to see yeah
1: I don't know I think eventually I would have gotten to a point where I was like I'm not doing this anymore but um I don't know how long that would have taken me because Mm -hmm. I was stuck in the cycle
0: so what did toward the end look like
1: We both had just given up. We were roommates.
0: Mm -hmm. How long was that?
1: Probably about two years, the last two years. I was so tired of finding things, and I was so tired of confronting him. And I think, actually, I probably would have left in that time period had he not. And I think he could probably see that. So he, um, met someone at work and told me that he wanted a divorce. So I do think that it's his addiction that led to that point. And also I feel like, um, maybe he didn't want to be alone and he could kind of see that I had given up and that I had kind of hit the end, but I wasn't leaving.
0: hmm Yep. So... like no we're gonna drag this dead horse yeah yeah yep what did that look like after so did did he leave did you leave what what happened at that point
1: he left and I finally started growing a backbone and it was really hard because no part of me wanted to be mean to him or to hurt his feelings so I have struggled with setting boundaries <laughs> for uh-huh. most of my life. And that was one where when he left, I finally started to do that with him, um, set those boundaries. And that was really, really hard to do. It wasn't easy to be that way with him and to hold my ground. But in doing so, I started to find my self-esteem again. hmm uh-huh. And started to turn into a stronger person.
0: So you moved to Utah.
1: Yep. Moved back to Utah so that I could have my family help with the boys. The boys were seven and four.
0: And what has that looked like since? What's your relationship been since then? With him? Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Um... It's pretty much non-existent. Uh, I do feel very, very grateful that now I can say this. I did not feel like this in the beginning. (sighs) Right. But I am so grateful that he found someone else before he left because he was willing to just walk away. He didn't fight for custody. He didn't fight for anything in the house. I was able to take all of the boys' beds, all of their, like, any toys that they wanted, there was no struggle at all. Um, he allowed me to write the divorce decree. So in it, it specifically states that he is not to try to convince the boys to live with him. Like, I was very specific um, about the wording of the decree. So I feel very lucky that that, that was kind of airtight.
0: hmm
1: And he was happy to do it because he wanted that carefree lifestyle. And honestly, I don't blame him. We were so young. It was like our entire youth was spent in this misery and hell. And he was just ready to kind of live it up a little bit. Neither of us got that experience.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So... I can't say that I necessarily blame him for that part of it. However, as a parent, I couldn't imagine, I don't know, I, I just, everything since my kids were born is to take care of them and to give them, you know, provide for them and just be there for them and make sure that they're okay.
0: Mm -hmm. And he was able to just kind of walk away and and leave that on you.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Which has been really
1: hard, but also, again, in maybe a backwards kind of way, I'm grateful for it.
0: Because it's not a fight.
1: Yep. It's not a mm-hmm. fight. It hasn't, mm-hmm. there have been a few small things that come up, but for the most part, like we don't talk to each other.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I do feel sad for my boys because they talk to him occasionally, but it's not, they haven't really had a father figure. Mm
0: hmm. What, if anything, looking back, because I want to pivot now. Sam, let's deconstruct our whole family.
1: (laughs) How long is this possible?
0: (laughs) It's an eight-parter. Here we go. (laughs) So, looking back. (laughs) So, like, porn stuff aside. Also, I want to come back to porn, too, because maybe we should address that first. Let's break down porn first. Because I've gotten some messages from, from people who aren't mormon who are like what what is like the like the mormon porn thing like what is that what is it with like lds people and porn because a lot of people don't think porn is bad i no longer think porn is inherently bad um it's obviously it's obviously different in your particular case because there is an, an addiction involved so that's you know completely different than you know but you know, I don't think most guys, most Mormon guys into porn are like necessarily addicted to porn. So, but I got that question like, what is that? And so, like, what is like the Mormon like obsession with it and the obsession with like not watching it? And the, because I feel like there, and you can like tell me if you agree with this or not, but I almost feel like the thing that religion puts on porn by making it like so shameful and so sinful. And so all the bad things that guys are like just more inherently drawn to it because they're not supposed to, and then feel like shit about it. So they hide it. And like, I feel like John's whole thing, well, you know, he wasn't addicted. He, it was on and off for a long time. Like he could have stopped. I feel like all the times he went back, like it's cause he wanted to, which is fine. But, um, but the problem wasn't that he was watching it. The problem was like that he felt like shit about it. And it completely destroyed our relationship because he would like pull away. I could tell there was like so much self loathing there. I could tell like he just felt terrible about himself. He felt like he was like letting our marriage down. And kind of he was like in a backwards way because like, but I feel like that's all the stuff that like church was putting on him about porn, like not the porn itself. I feel like there are so many guys out there in the world who, I mean, there are guys addicted to porn who cannot, like, have a normal relationship. Like, that's a real thing. Um, But I feel like lots of guys just, like, casually watch porn and it's not, you know, a relationship destroyer. It's not, so I feel like, I feel like what church does to porn is what makes it so destructive. It's what makes guys feel so garbagey about it. Um, especially when you've got, like, young guys, like, mission-age guys. I have friends whose kids have issues with it before they leave on their mission. I'm like, yeah, of course, they're 18 years old. Like, they're 18 years old, and they're just, like, figuring this stuff out. Like, let them figure this stuff out. Let them figure it out. Figure out. It's awesome. It's also not the whole world. It's not the end of the world. Like, I feel like it's that thing where if you make something, like, completely off-limits and horrible, like, you are so inherently drawn to that. And then feel so, it's that cycle of, like, self-loathing that comes with it that just makes it, I don't know, thoughts, let's fix this right now.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, I can explain it in one word. Mm-hmm. Repression. Yes. That's it. Yep. Um, they're repressed. So, one thing that I begged my ex was just tell me. Yeah. Just tell me. It's, it was the hiding it. It was the hiding it that was so detrimental because it felt like an affair. I felt like, I don't care if you're watching porn or not. I care that you're lying to me. I care that you're hiding it. I care that it's this big secret. I can tell he's not present in the marriage. His behavior is different. Mm -hmm. I'm not an idiot. I can tell. So will you please just be honest with me? And he would lie straight to my face every single time, except for right at the end the very last time I asked him have you been looking at stuff um turns out it was an actual person (laughs) but he finally just said yes which of course was not him owning up to everything at that point it was him owning up to just the looking at pornography but um yeah and it felt like such a relief when he looked me in the eye and said yes that's all I wanted in eight years of marriage that one word was all I wanted Mm -hmm. and it was the only time that I ever got it
0: because the secret is the part that feels like the betrayal it's the secret it's not it's not the act itself it's the secret of it it's the hiding of it it's the lie of it that's the betrayal yeah yeah I just think sex is such a freaking normal thing. And, of course, when you're, like, 17, 18 years old and you're taught that, like, masturbation's bad and porn's bad and everything is bad, bad, bad until you get married and then, okay, now it's fine. Like, there's, I feel like that switch can be made in the human brain. I feel like, I also feel like there's, like, a huge delineation that religion puts into, like, it's like the whole like Madonna. The Madonna and the whore thing. Where like women can't be both. Like you marry like a nice like. Chaste. Righteous good girl. Who can't possibly like sex. Where she likes sex, sex is like very vanilla sex. And so you have. You know that whole thing. But then it's like all of your like deepest darkest desires. That are like off limits. Like that's the ugly thing that you hide and go to. Where it's like you could have both. Like your relationship can be both. Your wife can be like. Totally into some like crazy shit and also bury your children. Like, we can be both. And I feel like that is like such a thing that I feel like church has like devastated us that way too, where it's like guys think like there's good girls and there's like sluts. And the sluts are the ones you like hide from your wife that you're like, you know, watching on your laptop. And women can be both, man. I don't know. I just feel like it doesn't have to be a thing. And I feel like religion makes it so much worse. Yeah. Let's pivot. To fixing generations of problems in our family. Are you ready? <laughs> Put on your thinking caps. I almost got out my gin for this. You know that I made the bathtub gin you got me for Sweet. my Christmas present. But then I was like, I'm already tired. There's nowhere way, way I'll be able to like form cohesive thoughts. Okay. Also, you're supposed to
1: let that gin sit for a long time. It
0: said for okay. it said a long time, but then in parentheses it was like. <laughs> four hours. And I was like, that's not a long time. I'm thinking months. <laughs> it's like still sitting in my freezer. I'm like, we're just gonna let that marinate a long time. <laughs> so okay, so the porn stuff aside, because you didn't know about you know, you didn't know about that going into it. Like any any of the addiction stuff. But can you see any reason why you married young, chose who you did, pick the guys that you did based on I'm gonna I totally want to like deconstruct our upbringing and stuff we were modeled and like what if anything like bearing that hat on our partners because I can totally look at my upbringing like our upbringing and figure out why I chose the guys to date that I did and so do you do you have any of that when you look back
1: Um, a few things we never had modeling of how A husband should treat his wife. Yep. Um, We didn't have anyone model what boundaries, what setting boundaries looks like.
0: I feel like we should tell everyone right now, our parents had a really bad marriage. Yes. (laughs) We grew up in not a great home. Yes. Um, There was, they were married 12 years, I think. Something like that. Um, So, and while he's my adoptive dad, he's your biological dad yes um but they were married for 12 years not a great marriage there was abuse there there was lots of dysfunction there and so we were modeled like all kinds of not great stuff
1: um i think also when you grow up with abuse and trauma you're not taught to value yourself as a person i never thought that I was, that i had value just because i'm a person That never occurred to me until I was a lot older. What else? I think because our parents didn't go to college, there was not an emphasis on bettering myself through education. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things I feel like I hit on really hard with my own kids because I didn't have it is I emphasize, and they hear it all the time, that you get your own feet under you before you add a family to it.
0: Yep, yep.
1: You get a solid ground under you. You figure out what you want to do with your life. You figure out how you're going to make money. And it doesn't have to be perfect because then they'll never get married and have kids. But you, for the most part, need to have a game plan. And you need to figure out how you're going to make all that work. Yeah, And, you know... The best plans usually end up not being the ones that you actually plan, but, or how life goes isn't always how you planned it. But for the most part, I just feel like when I got married, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Mm -hmm. I hadn't even really thought about it. It was that thing where people are like, what do you want to do? What do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know. No one ever really asked me that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I didn't know.
0: So... Same. I've told my kids the same thing, like the same. I told I joked with Zoe that she's not allowed to get married till she's like, I'm like, 28. I'm like, maybe 28. And then right now she's like, she's like, I never (laughs) want to get married. I'm like, that's fine. I'm like, that might change. But I'm like, but for right now, let's go with that. Let's go with never. (laughs) But yeah, the whole idea that like, I know a large part of me getting married so young was the whole thing where like, I never learned to be an adult I didn't know what that was or what I wanted to be or how to do anything so it's like I just I went from parents who I kind of expected to take care of me and you know didn't do a great job but whatever like I had someone you know take care of me and then got married to have someone take care of me because I'm like I don't know what's I don't know how to be a person and so and also just that thing of being young and like not having any idea of like who you are like who are like. Who are you? Is my personality of who I'm going to end up being, like, going to mesh with this person? You have no idea when you have two young people that don't know who they are. But I've also, I've told my kids, I'm like, please don't wait to get married to have sex. Please. Please have sex. Like, (laughs) be responsible. Don't, like, sleep with everybody. But, like, oh, my gosh. please, Like, especially the person you're going to marry, please have sex first. Like, figure out if you're, like, sexually compatible, number one. But then also, that cannot be the motivator to to be married and stay married that just can't be a thing and I remember like I was still going to church when I started like kind of telling people that I was like telling my kids that and I was like getting looks and I'm like sorry that just I've seen so many people have short like courtships short like engagements and it's all because like they just want to have sex and that's great for the first like little bit and then you're in a terrible marriage for the rest of eternity like oh my gosh so, I don't know, that's controversial, too, but...
1: I agree with it, and I know that not everybody will, but just, not from my end, um, but I think from his end, that's why he was in a hurry to get married. Mm-hmm. So.
0: What I'm wondering, too, if you, like, when you're a young person and you already have, like, a porn addiction, you have... When I, you know, that's now kind of warped your brain about what that's all about. There's probably some sort of thought there like, oh, once I have sex, like maybe that's going to fix it. Like, cause now I'm going to be able to like be married and have sex and you have an expectation of what sex is going to be. And it's not what porn shows you. That's yeah. like not what it is. And yeah. Okay. This is where I say, I don't blame our mom. Because in case our mom is listening to this, mom, <laughs> I don't blame you for anything. Because <laughs> I feel like there are cycles that you just, like, perpetuate. Because I feel like, like, we came from, like, a crappy home. Like, you know, mom married dad when I was three. Um, And then they had you. Blessed be. <laughs> and then they... <laughs> And then a few more kids because I feel like, as you know, when your marriage gets hard, you, like, have another kid that's going to, like, say, like, I feel like they were in that cycle for a little bit. Like, their marriage would get really rough and they'd have another kid to save the marriage and they just kept having kids. Um, so that was not a great situation. But, like, I look at, because mom was a teen mom when she had me. And so that was already, like, a tough situation. Like, that's already not a great situation. And then she did kind of what she thought she should do by you know marrying someone who seemed you know good who's going to kind of take care of her and that seemed like a probably a pretty good situation at the time and ended up being terrible but like I feel like like I don't blame her for any of the choices she made because also like the the things she was modeled like as a kid growing up like our grandma and grandfather like did not have that like that was a terrible marriage that was like modeled to our mom and so like I feel like it's this cycle that until you figure out what you're doing and like break it and make conscious choices of like why am I choosing the people I'm choosing and the situations I'm I'm choosing like why am I doing this until you do that like because I'm already seeing I mean you know like my oldest is 20 and I'm like oh John and I like I've we modeled terrible stuff to our kids for a lot of years that now, you know, my kids aren't so old that it's like irreparable, but I'm like, we modeled some really bad stuff for them. Like just really dysfunctional codependent stuff that I'm like, Oh, now I have to, now that I recognize that I had to do better and like, point that out to them and be like, your dad's not a bad guy. I'm not a bad guy. Like this relationship was not healthy. This is why. And kind of, you know, to appropriate levels, be like, we need to, like, this needs to be broken now. (laughs) Like, these cycles need to be broken.
1: So, I have focused really hard on that with my kids, and I did have um, a failed engagement. I've dated quite a few people. I made the choice to not get married um, from the failed engagement. I made the choice to stay single in recent years. (laughs) And it's actually been really empowering Mm -hmm. because I feel like my focus for the longest time, I feel so sad for my kids that they have not had a father figure. And I feel so sad that they have missed out on that. And it's been their entire lives. Like my oldest is 18 now. And But I made the decision that I am only going to get married if the person that I'm with and myself can actually model what that marriage should look like. Right. And until that actually happens, I don't know if that will ever happen, but until it does, I think I'm doing a pretty good job on my own Mm -hmm. modeling at least how to be a decent human being (laughs) and how to be a really honest person. And how to live your life, just how you want to live
0: it. You've shown your boys like what a really strong, independent like not this is gonna sound cheesy, and I don't mean to cheesy at all, <laughs> but like you have absolutely taught your sons what a strong, independent woman looks like. Like you have done it on your own. You have they're now old enough to like look back and be and see for themselves. What you have contributed in their lives. What their father has contributed in their lives. And like they're old enough to work that out now themselves. Like they they know. And you have modeled such strength to them. That I feel like you've. Where there are you know some things that like they missed. Or whatever. That they're you know. That their specific situation didn't give them. Like you have made up for that. By like showing them and teaching them like so many other things. That a lot of kids don't get. And that's like being a strong mom, not a mom who's like a martyr or a mom who's like a pushover or a mom, like they got a strong mom.
1: Yeah, I've done a lot of work to, thank you, by the way, (laughs) but I've done a lot of work to break as many cycles for them as I can. Mm -hmm. And that's to show them to not stay in a relationship that isn't healthy, um, to, I got my bachelor's degree recently and that took me a long time being a single mom, but I didn't give up. I never quit. I stuck with it. Um, So I have a career now and just the things that I want for them, I knew that I had to model myself. Um, Setting boundaries has been a really tough one for me. And so
0: that's when we were never modeled either. That's the thing that we had to figure out for ourselves too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that I think has been one of the biggest for me. And I don't want my kids to think that setting boundaries is mean to other people. And I think that's something that I really struggled with because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings and I don't want people to think that I am mean because I'm not mean. And What I didn't realize was when I finally started setting boundaries, number one, it felt really good because, I don't know, it didn't make me feel like a mean person. Sometimes I still struggle, but I've gotten good at explaining my reasons why, which maybe a lot of people wouldn't do that. But if I have to set a boundary with someone, then, you know, I'll tell them it's not because of you. Like, these are my reasons why this is how it needs to be. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's helped a lot with me feeling like people will take it the wrong way or I don't know. But I feel like I've been a lot more successful just in life in general by setting boundaries.
0: I'm obsessed with it. Like once I figured out how to do it and once I got over the idea that like it's mean, it's not mean. Yeah. It actually benefits everyone around you when they have like a clear idea of what your expectations and boundaries are then it's like it's you no longer have to do like the tiptoe like I don't know like let's let's see what happens if I do that like if you have clear expectations it's like here's this like here are the parameters and everyone's just like cool and like and then you know what the parameters are and it's and you work if you're like honest and you know not you don't have to be bitchy about it just be like nope like it's Again, it's like nothing personal. It's like, no, like for me, like this is what I can do. This is what I can do here, here, here. And then once like clear expectations are set, it's, it makes it better for everyone around you. It's not mean. It's almost yeah. more mean to like, to leave things really like hazy and like, I don't know. And then make people like feel bad for asking. It's like, I don't know. She said yes, but I feel like she probably wanted to say no. Like it yeah. makes it, it's murky for everybody. It's not, That's what I was it's gonna not gonna good. Say
1: it actually creates much stronger relationships because the expectations are very clear.
0: Yep. Everybody
1: knows where they stand. Nobody's having to guess or tiptoe around everyone else. Like if I ask someone for a favor, 100%, I would prefer that that person say no, if they don't really want to do it, because if they say yes, when they don't really want to do it, we end up with a strain in that relationship, whether it's a friendship or a family member or whatever. And even if it's a small strain, it's still there. Yep. And that is not what a strong relationship is built on. Yep. So learning that, I hate that it took me almost forty years. <laughs>
0: well, because we still have it strong within our own within our own family. Like there are yeah. no boundaries within our own family. It's a lot of it's a lot of strain and a lot of like saying yes when you actually kind of would rather say no, and then you deal with the fallout of that. Like there's so much of that that we grew up with, and that still like kind of runs rampant because because i feel like everyone in our family has that like oh setting boundaries is mean saying no is mean like there's yeah yeah, we've all got that strong in us
1: one thing that i've learned to do as an adult too is when i ask anyone for a favor i always give them an out in the same sentence because it is I'm recognizing now that it's hard for people to set boundaries sometimes, and I don't know whether the person I'm asking for the favor from is someone who can set those boundaries or not. And so if I ask for a favor, I'll usually follow it up with, if not, that's completely fine. I'm not offended at all. Just to let them know, like, you are off the hook Mm -hmm. and there are zero hard feelings. I'm not someone to hold a grudge or to like think that someone's an awful person because they're not doing me this favor, like 100%, I would rather you say no. So this is your out. And that has actually helped quite a bit with that. So, and I think that that helps build stronger relationships too. Mm
0: -hmm. We're really smart.
1: Um, I don't know about that.
0: We're so much better than the rest of our family.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're cutting that out, right? I'll take that
0: joke out. (laughs) Just kidding, that's totally <laughs> staying in because we're laughing, so everyone knows it's not real. Um,
1: <laughs> leave it in there and then we'll text the we'll link to all of our
0: family members. <laughs> um yeah, I just lost my train of thought. Um boundaries. <laughs> boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a oh, here's an interesting question. Just okay. for the sake of I don't even know what. So let's imagine our marriages had we already known how to set boundaries going into them what would that have even looked like or would we have even like gotten through dating the same people i think because i didn't know of the things happening i still would have gotten married mm-hmm.
1: but that relationship would have lasted not eight years mm-hmm. because towards the end i was starting to set boundaries because i was so done and i was like i don't even care anymore if you do think i mean like I'm beyond caring, and it didn't go over well. So
0: yeah, sorry, I'm just gonna sit here and stare at the wall and think about mine. <laughs> that would have it would have been different. His whole illness would have been different, too.
1: I honestly wonder if yours would have been stronger.
0: I think it would have been I think it's that thing where I I didn't because it felt mean. Yeah. And I did the thing with him where I'm like, he's already so sick. Like, what am I going to do? Like, do more, say more mean things to him, make him feel worse. Like, it was that whole thing. Um, and so I just quietly ate and, like, swallowed down, like, all of the, and, like, it, it turned into such resentment. Of, like, all the things I couldn't say to him. And I wonder if I would have done that in a healthy way. It probably would have, honestly. That's because probably, think, it's on me.
1: I think that John really did love you. And I think that he would have worked to not have you leave. So if you had spoken up about those things, I think that he was aware enough to like, maybe take some of it to heart over time. Maybe at first he wouldn't like to hear those things, but mm-hmm. yeah, but I think he probably would have
0: tried yeah, I think I think it would have made so much better of the time that we did, of the time we had. Yeah. Probably. Oh, well. No time machine, man.
1: Yeah. Hindsight.
0: Forward we go.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Honestly, we're in pretty good places. We are. We are. Our lives are pretty alright. Uh, I love you. I
1: love you.